DiscerningHearts.com presents Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher. This podcast is an audio taken from a Discerning Hearts retreat conducted by Father Timothy Gallagher, which features the lives of St. Therese of Lisieux, Saints Louis and Zelle Martin, Servant of God Leone Martin, and the entire Martin family. The video taken at this retreat can be found in this episode post on discerninghearts.com, or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. We now begin Conference 3. Let's just pray a Hail Mary together and ask Our Lady's love on us as we begin. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The saints of the Martin family, pray for us. So we'll uh, pick right up with where we were yesterday. And we're looking, obviously, at the letters of Zelie. So we're in, in the year 1869 here, leading up toward that Franco-Prussian War. And in this year, in April, Celine is born. Celine, who is the seventh of the children, and she will become the great confidant of Therese and be very important in Therese's story. She will also take care of their father in his final illness. Now, we went through the letters leading up to and after the death of the second of the boys, Joseph Jean-Baptiste. I'm not going to go through all the letters of each of the death of the children, but you can extrapolate from what we saw what the death of that second boy meant for Celie and understand what this meant. I'm just giving one sentence from a letter where she uh, writes to her brother Isidore and his wife Celine after the death of Helene. I'm resigning myself to the will of God, though it's very hard to lose such a pretty girl. And this is the third of the deaths in the family. And then six months later, her eighth child is born, and this is Marie-Melanie Therese. So she is born on August 16th, we're in the year 1870 now, and she dies seven weeks later on October 8th, and this is the final of the deaths of these children. And this, this one was a very difficult one for Zelie, because again, she couldn't nurse the child herself, and so they had to find a wet nurse for her. And it was always a struggle. Rose, they knew, was a trustworthy, but she was six miles away. And in this case, they found one right in Alençon so they could visit the child frequently. But this wet nurse was not trustworthy. There was alcohol involved in this, and essentially the child died from neglect. So uh, Marie writes about this. Marie, as a young girl, together with the maid, they would go frequently to visit the home where Melanie Therese was living with the wet nurse. And she wrote this, I didn't find that she, the nurse, had an honest look. And when we arrived, she nursed the little one who threw herself on the breast with such quickness that it seemed to me that it was like a little starving baby who was dying of hunger, which essentially is what happened in this case. And then, of course, as soon as Zelie finds out about this, she immediately removes the child, takes her back into the home, and Marie continues, alas, it was already too late. She, Melanie, was too weak to recover, and soon she went to join the two little angels who had preceded her in heaven. Mama had so much pain over her death. 
that whenever we went out for walks with her, she avoided walking on the side of the street, the Rue de la Barre, where little Therese had been with the nurse. She could never look at that street again. And actually, the reason why Therese was named Therese was because Zélie had lost her first Therese, and she wanted this child to be the Therese to take her place. And the title that she gives to them is this, in translation, Remembrance of the Brief Exile. It's always how they looked at this life. This isn't our homeland. This is our exile. We're only here in passing. And our real homeland is, awaits us. Remembrance of the brief exile of our beloved little souls and of their birth to heaven. In fact, Therese, at one point, you see this in the story of the soul, when she is, this is probably about 12, 13 at this point, and she is attacked by a, a severe case of scruples. And it just is burdening her, and she feels unable to find freedom from it. And then the thought comes to pray to these four brothers and sisters who are in heaven, and she's freed from it. And she always attributes that to the grace of their intercession. And this is where you also get that longing of all the family members for the day when we'll all be together, all nine of us with our parents, and the suffering will be over. All right, this moves us now into the time of the Franco-Prussian War. And let's just pick up with the letters then. And the, you have the next letter on page 16. So this is written seven weeks after the death of Melanie Therese. On the 22nd, so she's writing to Celine, her sister-in-law. On the 22nd of this month, we had a real alarm in Alençon. We were expecting the Prussians the next day, and nearly half the population of the town had left. I'd never seen such desolation. Everyone hid their valuables. I wasn't very afraid. And, and this is real. This is just the courage in this woman. Nothing frightens me anymore. If I'd wanted to flee, I would have gone straight to your house up to Lisieux. But my husband would have been very upset all alone, and I would have been very anxious. It was best to stay. In leaving Belém to go to Alençon, they passed by Mamère, which is about 20 miles away from Alençon. And then they turned off and went toward Le Mans. There were 20,000 of them. Now, this is another source of worry for Zélie because her two oldest daughters are there in Le Mans at the boarding school of the Visitation Sisters. I'm very worried about my two little girls. People were saying there was heavy fighting being waged in Le Mans, and there was fighting there, and there was no way to go to them. Obviously, she wants to go and bring them home. The railroad was requisitioned by the troops, and we couldn't go by road because it was blocked by the enemy. Saturday morning, I received a letter from my sister, that's Elise, the visitation sister, telling me not to be alarmed, that the children were safer there than at home because the Prussians would never enter the convents. She said many women in the town had come to ask the nuns to take in their young girls. But the Prussians didn't stop in Le Mans. They want to head for Paris. What worried me most was that the authorities had decided that the town should put itself in a state of defense, and they called up the National Guard. They sent some into the forest, and now Louis gets involved in this. My husband went there Saturday morning and had to spend the night, but since there was no more danger, they made him relieve his post at night, so he returned around midnight. I'm worried and upset. However, I don't have as much reason to be as do many others, because in all probability, Louis won't leave, and my brother is even sure of staying, each for a different reason. I thank God for that, but it's still quite possible that they'll make men 
between the ages of 40 and 50 go, and Louis is 47 at this time. I'm almost expecting it. And then here's Louis. My husband is not worried about this at all. So he, he's 47. He's the father of a, a large family, and for that reason is unlikely to be called. And then Isidore runs a pharmacy, which is considered an essential service, and so he's unlikely. He's 29 at this point, but he also is unlikely to be called. So although Zelia is worried about this, she says, I'm less worried than many other women would be in this situation about their husbands and so forth. He would not ask, so this is Louis, he would not ask for any preferential treatment and often says that if he were free, he would soon join the franc tireur. Now, what this is, these were essentially guerrillas, and they would gather together and they'd be organized and whatever weapons they had, and they would try to harass the enemy in any way that they could. It was a dangerous thing because when the Germans captured any of them, they would execute them. And so Louis is saying here that if he were free, if he didn't have his family, he would join them. Now, the financial issues, because of course, as the war is devastating France, economically things become critical for everyone as this is going on. And here you see that the family finances were not simply a peaceful thing throughout all the years that we're looking at. There were ups and downs. And at this point, as we'll see, Zeli doesn't even know if they're going to make it financially through, of course, the lace making business and the watch making business, both of these take a, a severe decline in the midst of all of this. And her brother Isidore is asking, he's struggling too, he's asking whether they can help him financially. And in fact, uh, they would do this from time to time, they did help him out because his business eventually became successful, but he had his ups and downs with the pharmacy as well. There's one point in which Celie says that if I didn't have my own family, and she says this to her, her brother, I would give you willingly everything that I have. My brother is asking if we would have any money available if he needs it. The time has passed when I earned eight to 10,000 francs a year. Now, if a franc at that time was roughly worth about $8, you can see that's a pretty substantial uh, income that she's getting from that. But now that's not the case. And my husband also made a profit from the watchmaker shop. Now we can't even get money to live on. What's going to happen as we go through this war with everything collapsing? No one wants to pay their debts. I truly don't know what we'll do if this continues. We haven't touched the income. So they have some investments from the Credit Foncier Bank, nor that of the railroads. And all the people who owe us money say they can't pay. So the lace making or the watchmaking and people are just saying, we can't pay you. We're supposed to receive 7,000 francs in January from the sale of our houses on the Rue des Tisons. I'm still afraid that the woman who has to come up with these funds won't be able to pay us. We're counting on this money to help you. If we could only have the 8,000 francs that are owed us from Paris, but I look upon this sum as lost. Madame D. Now, the reason why you see these letters rather than the name, uh, because these people were still living when these letters were, um, people were showing interest. And they, in any case, they wanted to protect the identity of these persons. In some cases, the scholars have been able to identify who these people were. Madame D also owes us a thousand francs and will never get it. She's destitute. Seven weeks later, now the war comes closer. I'm not sure if you know that the Prussians have been in our home since Monday morning at seven o'clock. So it's about a year before they will move to the home where Therese will be born. And there again, there's the jewelry shop and the clockmaking shop. And the family lived here. Now in the French terms, you have the ground floor, 
first floor and second floor. And that's how we understand that. What's essentially going to happen is that the German soldiers will take over the first floor and the family has to move down. Basically, they're living in the shops while this is going on. I'm not sure if you know that the Prussians have been in our home since Monday morning at seven o'clock. They marched in front of the house until one o'clock in the afternoon. There were 25,000 of them. I couldn't describe our anxieties. What's going to happen with all of these victorious soldiers here? All the townspeople are appalled. Our poor soldiers went to fight against the Prussians, who were a league, a little less, about three miles from the village. We heard the cannon on three different roads the Mamere Road, the One Road, and the road to Le Mans from six o'clock until six o'clock in the evening. It was pitiful to see our soldiers returning, some without feet, others without hands. I saw one with his face covered in blood. In the end, many of them were injured and all the mobile hospitals were full. We don't know how many are dead. Among them, there are a number of the franc tireurs. And then she says to her sister-in-law, doesn't make sense when we have so few men to fight against the enemy to send them to slaughter like that against an army like this one we've seen with our own eyes. Monday around three o'clock, so you have 25,000 soldiers and they have to live some, they have to be housed somehow. And so they requisition the houses of the inhabitants. Monday around three o'clock, all the doors were marked with the number of enemy soldiers to be housed. A big sergeant came to ask, us to inspect the house. I took him up to the first floor while telling him we have four children. Fortunately for us, he didn't try to go up to the second floor. You can just see that uh, on the top of the screen there. Finally, they made us take in nine of them, and we can't complain. In our part of town, small shopkeepers who have only two apartments are taking in 15, 20, and even 25. Those we have are neither mean nor looters. I know what she says here but they love to eat like I have never seen. They eat everything without bread. Now, you would need somebody in the French culture to explain why that just really is striking to her that they eat without bread. This morning, they asked for cheese. I bought a big one for them, and they ate a quarter of it without even a mouthful of bread. They swallow mutton stew as if it were soup. One of the things that happens, it's not in the letter here, at a certain point, Zaylee notes that one of these soldiers is really suffering from homesickness, essentially, missing his family. And she notices this, and she speaks to him very kindly about this. She finds some special foods for him. He was just very grateful for it, you know, that uh, what, he, what she did. I'm not bothered by them. When they ask me for too much, I tell them that it's impossible. And there's the courage of the, of the woman again. Uh, we want you to get us this. No, I can't do it. All right. This morning, they brought enough meat to feed 30 people, and we're in the process of having it cooked for them. We've had to let them have the entire first floor and move to the ground floor. If I told you everything, I'd have to write a book. The town refused to pay the amount they demanded. So they're also asking for financial indemnities. And we've been threatened by reprisals. All the livestock in the surrounding area were taken. Now there's no more milk anywhere. What will my little Celine, who is just a little shy of two years old, what will my little Celine do? She drinks a liter a day. And what are the poor mothers who have only small children going to do? Nor is there any meat in the butcher shops. In short, the town is in desolation. Everyone is crying except me. My husband is sad. He can neither eat nor sleep. I believe he's going to get sick. I forgot to tell you that at the beginning, during the bombing of the town, there was a wooden building site 
and many houses which were burned down. Shrapnel fell even on our street. A projectile smashed a storefront very close to us. We had to go down into the cellar. And this is the time when Leonie, who is this difficult and troubled child, she goes down to the cellar and she will not leave it. You know, she just can't deal with all the upheaval and the soldiers in the house and everything that's happening. Please write me as soon as possible. I'm worried about you because of the occupation of the country. And that's as much as Elise says about the war uh, in her letters, in, in these two letters that we have. We'll return to Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family, with Father Timothy Gallagher. The next letter, as you can see, moves us into the following year, 1872. So it's almost a year later. And in fact, after the war, there was a financial rebound in which things took on financially a whole new energy. And you get now the opposite problem that she's overwhelmed with orders and, and so forth. And in this letter, we have our first mention of Therese, uh, St. Therese. I'm expecting my little angel any day now. And in fact, Therese will be born on January 2nd. This is December 25th. So it's just a few days away from her birth. And I'm very much at a loss because I still haven't found a wet nurse. And she knows that she's unlikely to be able to nurse Therese herself. In fact, she tries, but she's unable to do it. And so the wet nurse situation arises again. This is her ninth and final child. So wet nurses, and actually this was a widespread practice uh, at the time for many reasons. Women, many women could be very burdened with large families and having to work and so forth. And it was a very difficult thing. You can just sense in, in, for everyone involved. And this is actually, I'm anticipating here, but this is the beginning of that great suffering in Therese, the need for a mother, because like a number of her brothers and sisters, she begins to bond with Zaylee, but then Zaylee finds that she can't uh, nourish her child as she needs, and she leaves the home with Rose, bonds with her, 
a year later, loses her second mother, so to speak, when she returns home, bonds with uh, uh, Zeli. And that's where you get this in Therese. You remember that, uh, how she describes, and Zeli talks about it in her letters, when Therese is home now, and she's walking down the stairs, and at every step, she calls out for her mother. And unless her mother answers, answers Therese will not take the next step. And she just, she she's lost already two mothers, so to speak. And then Zeli dies when Therese is four, and she loses that mother. She chooses Pauline as her mother, and in a way that's very painful for her, Pauline, it's one of these things, what do you do? You know, Pauline knew that her departure for the Carmel was going to be very hard for Therese, and not wanting to cause her pain, just didn't say anything to her about it, and she finds out in a way that's very painful for her because she overhears a conversation between Marie and Pauline, which lets her know that Pauline is going to leave for the Carmel, and it's like being pierced by an arrow. Another mother is leaving me, and I didn't even know it. This is one of the reasons why she grew to love Mary so much, because Mary was the one mother who never left her. That's a deep thread in Therese. I'm always struck as I speak about Therese by how often I use the word deep, and it's right, because uh, there are there are wonderful depths in her. Well, in any case, uh, this is a few days before her birth, and Zelie is looking to find a wet nurse. I've seen several of them, but they didn't suit me perfectly, and my husband has never been able to make up his mind and choose one. It's not because of the cost. It's because we're afraid of bringing someone into our home who's not very suitable, as are generally all the wet nurses today. If God gives me the grace of being able to nurse my child, it will be nothing but a pleasure to raise her. And this is the, the letter where she speaks about children. As for me, I love children unto folly. I was born to have them. She's 41 years old, but it will soon be time for that to be over. I'll be 41 years old the 23rd of this month, old enough to be a grandmother. And the next letter is written the day after Therese's birth. As I've mentioned, when you get to know Pauline, your heart really warms to her. There's a goodness, and she was very capable. You can note that both she and her older sister were in the Carmel, but it was Pauline who was chosen to be the prioress. And she always had that leader, kind of leader's quality. And not in any harsh way. Uh, she could be very warm. Eventually, what happened was uh, after the uh, the explosion of interest in Therese, when the Carmel in Lisieux was being deluged with letters and requests, and eventually, when Pauline at one point was re-elected prioress, the Holy Father stepped in and named her prioress for life because she was obviously the right person to handle uh, all of this. And so she remained prioress for the rest of her religious life. And then here's the third daughter, Leonie, and she is the one who is so difficult for Zelie. They send her to try to study as a day a student with some sisters in Alençon. It goes so badly, the sisters send her home. They make two attempts to send her to the visitation school together with Marie and Pauline and their aunt. And to Zelie's great sorrow, again, she is so disruptive that the first time she's only after two months, they send her home. The second time, after six months, they send her home. And so Zelie is just doesn't know what to do with this child. Celine is the fourth of the five daughters, four years older than Therese, and she would be the inseparable companion of Therese, as you know if you've read the story of a soul. This is a sideline, but I did a retreat years ago for a community of uh, Carmelite sisters of the aged and, and infirm. They 
have hospices, you know, uh, homes for elderly people. And uh, in their chapel, they have an enormous painting that Celine did of Therese. It's taller than, than I am. It's, it's just a great, great thing. Uh, I'm just going to give these in the order of their entrance into Carmel. Marie, who is one year older and takes the name of uh, Sister Marie of the Sacred Heart. Therese, whom we know as Sister Therese, Saint now Therese of the Child Jesus, but that's not her full name. Her full name, she adds the second piece to it a few years after her entrance. And so she's Sir, Sir Therese de l'Enfant Jésus et de la Sainte Face, Sister Therese of the Child Jesus and of the Holy Face. And the Holy Face for Therese is the face of Jesus as we see it in Isaiah 53. You know, one from whom there was no beauty in him, uh, one from whom we turn, a, turn our eyes. Okay, so the next letter here is uh, Therese's birth. My little girl was born last night, January 2nd, Thursday at 1130. She's very strong and in very good health. They tell me she weighs eight pounds, let's say six, which is still not bad. She seems very sweet. I'm very happy. It's just nice to see Zelie say that in a letter. However, at first I was surprised. I was so sure I was having a boy. I'd been imagining this for two months because I could feel she was much stronger than my other children. I barely suffered a half hour. What I felt before was practically nothing. You can just see as she goes through these various trials, she's just growing in strength. She'll be baptized tomorrow, Saturday. The only thing missing to make the celebration complete is all of you. Marie is going to be the godmother as she was. I received your letter, and you'll see this every year. The, the custom was to give gifts, some gifts for Christmas, but also New Year's. And so every year, Celine Guerin, her sister-in-law, sends gifts to the Martin girls. And every year, Celine responds in the same way. Thank you. I'm so grateful, but you shouldn't have done it. It was too much. I received your letter as well as the box containing the New Year's gifts. I don't know if I should scold you. I want to very much, yet I also want to thank you, but everything is too beautiful and too expensive. Celine wore her beautiful fur and muff for the first time on the first day of the year. I wish all of you a happy new year. Please remember me to Monsieur and Madame Fournay, so that's Celine's parents, and Monsieur and Madame Maudelonde, that's Celine's sister who is married. That's her name as in marriage. All right, the next is two weeks later. I'm completely recovered now. The little one, Therese, is also doing well. She promises to be very strong, but nevertheless, I don't dare count on it. I'm always afraid of enteritis, which caused the death of her first boy and probably was involved in the second as well. I had begun to breastfeed her and fearing that this was not enough, I wanted to help by giving her a bottle. This worked very well until Sunday, but the famous bottle spoiled everything. It was impossible to make her go back to breastfeeding. I tried everything. I let her fast, but she cried so pitifully, I had to give in. My little one is not at all difficult during the day, but at night she often makes us pay dearly for her good day. Last night I held her until 11.30. I was exhausted and couldn't do it anymore. Fortunately, afterward, she didn't do anything but sleep, and now she explains the name. This child is named Therese, like my last little girl. Everyone tells me that she'll be beautiful. She already laughs. I saw this for the first time on Tuesday. 
Now, how old is she at this point? This is January 16th. She's two weeks old. I thought I was mistaken, but yesterday it was impossible to doubt it any longer. She looked at me very careful, then gave me a delightful smile. And then this, while I was carrying her, I noticed something that never happened with my other children. When I sang, she would sing with me. I'm confiding this to you. No one would believe it. Okay, letter the next day asking her brother Isidora's advice about how to care for Therese. I'm extremely worried about my little Therese. I'm afraid she has an intestinal illness. I noticed the same alarming symptoms as those of my other children who died. Must I lose this one too? Tell me how I should feed her, if the bread water with half milk is suitable. All she's been doing is sleeping this morning for three and a half hours. I don't know if it's the weakness that causes this sleepiness, and I'm very anxious. As for me, I barely sleep more than two hours because I'm almost constantly around the little one, who for some time has been very restless a good part of the night. If you can write me and encourage me with your advice, that would make me very happy because I need it so much. And let's just read one more letter here. So this is two months later, and she tells her sister-in-law what's been happening. Since I wrote to you, I've had so much trouble. My little girl became worse and worse. Last Sunday, I sent for another doctor, Dr. Balak. He came about five o'clock in the evening. After examining the baby, he asked me what I had been giving her. I told him what I'd been doing. He thought that this was good, but not enough to nourish her in the weak state that she was in. He thinks that one can feed a baby without milk for two or three days, but not more. And for two weeks, she didn't take anything but barley water almost without milk. And for two days, gruel water without milk. Finally, he said to me, and this doctor really saved Therese's life. This child must be breastfed right away. That's the only thing that can save her. I didn't know what to do because I couldn't think of feeding her myself. And I didn't have any wet nurse in mind. I explained my dilemma to him, and he gave me a prescription. Twice a day, I had to give her a spoonful of rice water and one of lime water in two spoonfuls of milk. When I saw the prescription, I said to myself, my little girl is lost. She won't be able to tolerate two-thirds milk in the state she's in. Madame Lariche, who is the wife of Louis' nephew, Adolphe, came to see me last night. She was so shaken that she went to bed without eating dinner and could only cry. She looked at her child and said, if he were in that state, I would die. Finally, that night, I was looking for a way to find a wet nurse at all costs when I remembered a woman I know very well and who suits me in every respect. And this is where Rose Taille comes into the story again. It was seven o'clock, so it's in the evening when she thinks uh, of Rose. So she now goes to see the doctor and I left to go to the doctor's house. I spoke to him about the wet nurse who's been nursing her child for one year. So she's been nursing her own one-year-old child. And the question is, will she be able at this point to nurse Therese? He thought about it a little and said to me, you must hire her right away. She's the only option we have now to save your baby. And if this doesn't save her, at least you'll have nothing to reproach yourself for. If it hadn't been so late, I would have left that moment to go and get the wet nurse. The night seemed long to me. The little one almost didn't want to drink. All the gravest signs that preceded the death of my other little angels were present, and I was very sad, convinced that the poor darling wouldn't take the breast given her her weak state, so that even if Rose comes, 
it may be that Therese will just be too weak to breastfeed. So at daybreak, I left to, to go to the wet nurse who lives in Semaye, almost two, two leagues, uh, five, six miles away. So again, early morning, and she walks that road from Alençon. My husband was away, and I didn't want to entrust the success of my mission to anyone else. On a deserted country road, I met two men who frightened me, but I said to myself, even if they killed me, it wouldn't matter. I had death in my soul. Finally, I arrived at the wet nurse's house and asked her if she would come with me right away to live with us full time. Now, obviously, that's not going to be possible because she has her own children. She told me she couldn't leave her children and her house, but she would stay with us a week and then take the little one home with her, which is what happens. I agreed, knowing that my baby would do very well in her home. This woman had already cared for one of my children, actually for two of them. We left together after a half hour and arrived home at 10.30. The maid said to me, I wasn't able to make her drink. She doesn't want to take anything. The wet nurse looked at the child and shook her head with an expression that seemed to say, I made this trip for nothing. I quickly went upstairs to my room. I knelt at the feet of St. Joseph and asked him for mercy that the little one be cured, resigning myself completely to the will of God if he wanted to take her. I don't cry often, but I cried while I was praying. I didn't know if I should go downstairs. So here's the rose attempting to breastfeed the child. Should I go down and see, you know, is it the child feeding or not? Finally, I decided to go. And what did I see? The child was suckling with all her heart. She didn't let go of her hold until one o'clock in the afternoon. So they get home at 1030. Once Therese begins to breastfeed, it's about what, 1030 to one that she just won't stop. She threw up a few mouthfuls and fell against her wet nurse as if she were dead. There were five of us around her. We were all stunned. There was a worker, this is one of her lace-making workers, who was crying. As for me, my blood froze. The child had no visible breath. We bent down to try and find some sign of life, but it was no use. We saw nothing, but she was so calm, so peaceful, that I thank God for having let her die so gently. Finally, a quarter of an hour passed. My little Therese opened her eyes and began to smile. From that moment on, she was completely cured. Her healthy appearance returned as well as her cheerfulness. Since then, everything is better. But my poor little one has left, and this would be 13 months. It's very sad to have raised a child for two months and then have to entrust her to strangers' hands. What consoles me is knowing that God wants it this way. That's always the bedrock for her since I did everything I could to raise her myself. So I have nothing to reproach myself for in this regard. I would really have preferred to keep the wet nurse at my house, as would my husband. He didn't want the others, but he very much wanted this one. He knows her to be an excellent woman. I'd say the whole church owes a lot to this Rose. Wonderful woman that she was. You'll think of this what you want, but I hope with all my heart that you never have a child in this state. You don't know what to do or how to handle it. You're afraid of not giving her the right thing. It's a continual death. You'd have to go through it to know what a torture it is. I don't know if purgatory is worse than this. Well, here's another hard trial. It's over. So very much a hard trial, but this time, this time things work out in the way that we know. The Blessed Mother, the dying of a child waiting, and then the resurrection 
of a child. And it was just the smallest, but then also the fathers allowed it. And that trust that, okay, it's for the greater good. And look what happened. Oh, so much to ponder, right? For those in our webinar, this will be the conclusion of this particular presentation. And we hope that you'll be able to take some time to be able to absorb and reflect and look in the reflection questions found in the back of the handout that you were given. And we look forward. Well, first, before I, we let them go, would you have thoughts that you would give them to maybe ponder Father Gallagher and this particular group as well? Just listen to your heart and toward what is it drawn, what speaks to you, what maybe uh, stands out for you in some way as we've gone through this part of the, uh, of the story. And then just let the Lord be there with the Lord. Let the Lord speak to that. You've been listening to the podcast, which contains the audio taken from the Discerning Hearts Retreat, Hope in Difficult Times, with St. Therese and her family, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this audio, or to view the video taken at the retreat, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher.